This is the Happen to Your Career Podcast, episode 125. What's your story? When you are faced with two options, choose the one that will make a better story. I kept one foot on each side of the fence and wasn't doing well with either one. I sat on the couch and moped for three months. Heck, I didn't even know the proper way to hug a tree. Hey, HTYCers. If you've been struggling to figure out work that fits you, then join our eight-day free mini course. All you have to do is text HTYC to 38470. That's HTYC to 38470 or simply visit figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. See you there. This has happened to your career. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and then make it happen. Whether you're looking to do your own thing or find your dream job, you've come to the right place. I'm Scott Barlow. Hey, this is Scott Barlow, and you are listening to Happen to Your Career. This is the show that helps you figure out what work fits you by exploring other stories. We get to bring on experts like Matt Kincaid, who's quite frankly, uh, an amazing resource on leadership, and he helps companies build say-anything cultures, and people that have also pretty amazing stories like Dr. Lynn Marie Morsky, who quit her way to her dream career, believe it or not. And also people just like you that have gone from where they are to what they really want to be doing. Now, you can find all of those people and more in the back episodes of Happen to Your Career. Would highly encourage you to go back and listen to Dr. Lynn Marie Morsky or Dr. Matt Kincaid. And you don't have to be a doctor uh, because, you know what, anybody can do this if they actually, <laughs> if they actually do the necessary steps. And there can be steps. And there are people that uh, that have followed these steps already that and that we get to showcase on the show. And there are people just like our next guest. And in my conversation with him, you're going to get to find out how even, even seemingly drastic career changes, like say, I don't know, financial analyst, uh, park ranger, are completely possible if you are persistent and willing to work for it. And we're going to show you exactly what that means because it's easy to say persistent and willing to work for it, right? It's much harder to understand what that actually looks like. So you're also going to get to hear how important a role relationships play in finding and landing the opportunities that you want and what that, what that even means, what that looks like. And finally, you're going to learn why you should never underestimate humble beginnings. So think, think about being a park ranger. And if you think that that's about as far from the business world as you can get, then I want you to think again, because my guest says the time that he spent as a park ranger gave him a solid education in public relations, public speaking, negotiation, customer experience. He ended up actually trading a cubicle for the great outdoors. Then he went in and got his MBA and discovered that not only could business lessons be applied to the park system, but the park's had lessons to share with the business world too. He's a master storyteller. He's the host of the Park Leaders Podcast. Not a surprise, right? But he also hosts Creating Disney Magic, that podcast with former Disney exec Lee Cockerell, who's a past guest on this show. Go and find his episode. Uh, and he's also recently launched the Jody Mayberry Show. I want to welcome Jody Mayberry back to the HTYC podcast. He's one of the only people that we've had on here uh, multiple times. And yeah, I think you're going to love this one. Take a listen to my conversation with Jody Mayberry. Your kids got my kids in a really weird way because they did not interact with each other with the exception of my youngest child. Um, now my kids are watching, uh, what is it, Lego... Lego, why can't I remember the name of it? Lego, uh, oh, why can't I not remember it? So your your son has like the, the Lego toys with like the big guys move around. They got swords. What are those called? Why can't I remember them? Um, I can see them, but I can't. Is uh, it 
It could be Hero Factory. It nope. could be Bionicles. Yep, Bionicles. Uh, yeah. Okay. So now they're watching Bionicles. <laughs> good. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is actually pretty good. I watched a few and you know, I kind of like it. Of, yeah. Of all the things the kids watch, Le- what Lego puts out is usually decent. Well, Lego's kind of like Disney, actually. And maybe this is where the episode starts. We're not going to do a formal uh, start to the episode. So this is, this, is, this, this is where it begins, Jody. And it began. Yeah, Lego puts out stuff along the lines of uh, Disney. Like they have the same level of quality, I would say. Yeah. In everything that they, everything that they do. They and they're do. both targeted towards kids too. They do a great job. And in fact, they have teamed up because Lego has a lot of Disney sets. Ooh, that's true. I forgot about that. That is true. Huh. Did not think about that. So we we purchased um oh yeah, actually so when you were over here and your kids were there and my son was trying to put together like that off-brand Lego. Yes. Yeah, that, wasn't it? It was like Lego spelled backwards, wasn't it? It was yeah, basically. It was some kind of backwards Lego. Um actually it probably didn't even deserve to be Lego spelled backwards, but uh yeah, man, it was terrible like a whole different level of quality. So I, I used to, I, I had the conversation with Alyssa not that long ago where it's like, wait a minute, $150 for a Lego set? Are you serious? And uh, now after after the kids got some of those for Christmas, which are like seven bucks or whatever, five bucks or something, I now am willing to pay you know, $150 for a Lego set or 20 bucks or 40 bucks or whatever it is. There's a yeah, distinct difference. There is. Lego is expensive, but... Often you get what you pay for, which is the case in Lego. You pay for wonderful marketing and very precise bricks. So on the note of you get what you pay for, that's that's what I want to talk about. Actually, that's not at all what I want to talk about, but I, I couldn't think of another transition. I, what I do really want to talk about is uh, <laughs> I want to talk about your story because you've had and just before we were able to get on Skype and, you know, hit the record button and everything like that, we were talking about uh, a saying that you, shall we call it, birthed. And I think we should start with that because I think it's very fitting for this conversation. Now, can you can you say it again? This will be the third time. Third time. Yes, when you are faced with two options, choose the one that will make a better story. So I think that you've done that. I think that knowing you and your background – You've you've done a pretty amazing job of that. So you you've had a very varied career, at the risk of too many varies in one sentence. Um, and I think that'll be really really interesting for uh, not just your stories because I think you've had a lot of people already interested in your stories. But I think it'd be really really interesting to talk through today. One reason is because you and I haven't really gotten to talk through a lot of that other than occasionally. So I'm I'm curious. There's some things that I want to ask you and dive deep into, if you want to call it that. And at the same time, I think that it'll be really, really helpful for HTYCers. So I would love to hear about how on earth you became a park ranger in the first place. Yeah, I don't think you and I have ever talked about that, Scott. I was, well, first of all, most boys, and and nowadays a lot of girls as well, dream about being a park ranger when they grow up, especially if you spend a lot of time in the outdoors with me and doing family vacations in national parks as a kid. You dream about being a park ranger, but you grow up thinking you've got to do real life which is what I did. I, I went to, I, I'll, I'm going to skim through this part of the story real quick. I am for, went to Illinois State University, got a degree in finance, got a degree in marketing, and then spent three months on the road living out of a tent because I knew I was going to work the rest of my life. But during that travels, I came out to Washington State and knew after what I have seen and done, I couldn't really returned to Illinois. But I did return to Illinois, but only long enough to pack my belongings into my car and move to Washington State. So we'll fast forward a little bit. And I am a financial analyst at a commercial bank. And we just built a house in Mount Vernon, Washington. And a friend was helping us move. And she said, you know what? 
I know you spend all your time hiking at Deception Pass State Park. The Washington State is hiring park rangers. You should really think about that. And I couldn't shake the idea that, oh, I wonder if I really could become a park ranger. And I looked at the qualifications, and I didn't qualify because I didn't have enough credits in natural sciences, however you interpret that, history and rocks and weather, what, what, whatever falls in that category. Bummer. Yeah. So what I did is I went back to school at night. I didn't tell anybody at, at the job I had because, you, you know, Scott, you spend a lot of time in the corporate environment. If yeah. they know you're moving towards something else, then they will find someone more willing to do your job. So I did that all at night and didn't tell anybody. And then finally had the credits I need and I applied to become a ranger. And it took one year from the, from the time I decided I was going to do it until I got a job offer. One year of, of going to school at night and, and the process was really long because in Washington state park rangers carry firearms so it's rightfully a long process. So that process uh, took six months. So six months of schooling, six months of going through the process, and then became a park ranger and spent eight years doing that. Okay, so that's really interesting because it makes a great story now. And we're not even done with the story. Like, we're just getting into the story, right? But um, most people would not be willing to commit to that. Most people... I, and I've heard a lot of this. Geez, I have a lot of emails this way. And this is not to say that this is this is bad, but I think that's a different reaction than what most people would have. Because I think most people would say, well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to come, become a park ranger, so why would I put the time into the schooling? That's true. It was, if you look at it that way, it was a risk. But let me tell you this. When the last regular job, and I'm doing the air quotes or as they say at Nashville Predators games they call those fang fingers which fang i fingers. don't i don't get it but that's what they call them so last time i had a real job the owner's son had a, a high up position in the company but decided he wanted to be a firefighter and he set out to do it, it he was determined that no this is my new career and i'm going to make it happen and I have to say I was jealous, not because he was becoming a firefighter. I had no desire to be a firefighter. But to see him set that goal and devote months and months to make it happen, that's what made me jealous because I remembered how rewarding that was to have a goal. Your days are different when you're reaching for something that you're not even sure if you're going to get, but you're, you're so determined to make it happen. Yeah. Your days are different. You don't, yeah, maybe you don't like your job, but how exciting is it to know you're working towards this bigger thing? And so it took me a, a year, like I said, from the time I decided to do it until I got the job offer. It was, it was exactly 12 months. And that was a wonderful year because I had that coming up. And really, maybe what it was, was hope, the, the hope that this could happen and it it made days delicious. Can I can I say that on the air? Delicious. I believe yes. that you can. I don't know. Um, Josh will edit it out if it is you know a little little too risque for uh, for our show. I I, I believe it'll be okay. Delicious. Okay. So delicious. so that's that's what it was. It just it added some more flavor to my days and my weeks and my months to know that I was working towards a dream. Okay, so that's really interesting to me because, um, you you know, I totally understand the the hope in working towards something, and I think that you know, just like when you plan a trip in advance, so like Alyssa and I are taking the kids and we're going to, and I know you know this, but for everybody else's benefit too, um, you know, we're going to go live in uh, Europe for uh, six weeks here coming up, and. Like that's something we talk about regularly and we look forward to and we're making plans for it and we're doing stuff in anticipation of it in order to make it happen. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's actually, it's created a lot of work for us, um, really, but it's, it's also a lot of fun. It's, 
it's delicious if I if I <laughs> that might get edited out <laughs> at the risk of <laughs> it getting edited out. But so I, I can totally understand what, what you mean when you say that. Um, was there a thought in your head about what happens if it doesn't work out? Or what, what was that like for you? What was your headspace like at that time? I'm, I'm super curious about that because we've never really gotten to talk about this. I don't know if I considered it an option that it wouldn't work out. But there were a lot of hoops. So to become a ranger, I had to go back to school. I had to score high enough on the civil service exam. I think that's what they call it. The bar is pretty low at a 70, but I had had such uh, I had had no experience in the type of thing they were looking for so the mi- absolute minimum to get considered was a 70 and I think I scored a 74 so I just barely made it squeaked by squeaked by so that that happens and then you have to do a medical exam a fitness test a psychological exam a polygraph and once you get through all of that and you could fail at any one of those steps then you begin the interview process so you've made it that far and you still might not get chosen. And I recall a couple of times worrying that, oh, man, this this is a big step or what if this doesn't happen? But I I never considered that it might not. Uh, I Just like if you're going to Europe, you, you're just planning on this is happening and you're moving towards that. But you don't work out the, well, what happens if we don't go to Europe? That was my mindset. I was thinking about, so like, I mean, obviously, you know, a little bit about my transition and everything like that, because started happening a career on the side. And when you started listening to our show way back when, you know, I was, I was doing a day job and and everything like that. By the way, we should probably tell that story how we met here too. Um, So quick, quick piece of background. Um, You were, I don't have no idea how you found our show. Maybe I can ask you that question, but then you reached out to me on Twitter, I think. How, how, how on earth did you find how did how do we even know each other, Jody? I think I first discovered Mark Sievercrop. Mm, yeah. And I'm trying to remember how because it's been it's been a long while. S- probably through like Chris Lacurdo's blog or something along okay. those lines. And then uh, Mark Sievercrop and I were bantering back and forth and then that's somehow you came up in that he's like hey you got to meet scott barlow with his dreamy voice and great hair and that's how it happened i'm sure it was just like that (laughs) (laughs) well i gave you the movie version yeah yeah that's the that's the movie version so interestingly enough though i think that yeah, i can i can kind of relate to that because i'm thinking about my own transition and people have asked me all the time it's like what happened if your business didn't work out? And I, similar to what you were just talking about with your transition to uh, Park Ranger, I just never considered it an option for it not to work. It's like more a question of, is it going to work this month or is it going to work six months from now? Uh, but it wasn't an option. So I say all that to ask the question of, do you think that that has to be a mentality or... Do you think that there's other ways to get there? There are likely other ways to get there. I wonder if you would be as tenacious or determined if you thought there were other options, though. I I don't know the answer to that, but once I was determined to become a park ranger, I was doing whatever it took, including having the patience and the determination to wait one year for it to happen. Yeah. And if I thought, well, I could be a park ranger or I could go for a promotion here at work. Or you know what? There's another bank that I could probably get a job there and make some more money. That I would have spread myself in all three directions rather than still doing a great job at the place where I'm employed. So I always recommend doing that. But then out, all the rest of my energy was pointed towards the completion of my goal of becoming a park ranger. 
And as you ask these questions, I, I realize usually when I tell the story about moving from financial analyst to park ranger, I, I glance over that part. I, I, I tell it like it just happened, but it, it was quite a process. And then after I became a park ranger, I moved to Spokane, Washington, and my wife still lived on the other side of the state for a year, and I would come home on weekends. So not only did I have, and I also don't want to glance over the impact me becoming a park ranger had on my wife, that year-long process, and then afterwards, a year of living apart with me just coming home on the, the weekends. But I drove, what, six and a half hours one way, every time every weekend so you know back and forth it so still i was determined to make it work out even after it happened i was sure that i needed to make changes in my career but there were so many options that i was stuck cindy is a chief financial officer for a small nonprofit in fresno california while completing the exercises she made a discovery what i knew about myself in advance was I need to look for improvements. I need to make those improvements. And I also know I don't do maintenance. What I didn't know, there was an underlying theme between the two. The reason I need to make the improvements is because I work hard not to get bored. It was an epiphany. However, it seemed that the shoe was the last one to find out. I took my shiny new discovery to my family and they were happy to validate, yeah, that's the reason that they thought I did these things. Without the exercises and the figure it out eight day course, I would remain blind to a clarifying truth that everyone else thought that I already knew and therefore they weren't talking about it. I'm now concentrating on work in a consulting industry that will be project-based so I can complete things and move on to the next thing, alleviating the boredom. The HTYC eight day figure it out course helped Cindy realize something that was obvious to everyone but her. What could it do to help you discover so that you can make an impactful change for your life and career? To take the course for yourself, text HTYC to 38470. That's HTYC to 38470, or just simply go to figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. That. I don't know if I knew that part. Maybe you've told me that in the past, but I don't, I don't think that I did know that part that you, you guys were living in you know, different, different sides of the state and everything along those lines. Yeah. My wife was a school teacher, so she had to put in one more year. Oh, you know what? I, I do think that we talked about that because same way, uh, Alyssa and I, when we first got married, um, she promptly moved to Moses Lake, Washington, which oddly enough is where we live now and where uh both of us happen to be from but then she took a took a teaching job over here for a year and then i was still living in spokane finishing up college and then running a running a totally different business at the same time and uh that was that was a really difficult way to spend uh first year of marriage but i guess knowing that and applying that to to your story like it's, uh, you were pretty determined to do this thing. Is that fair to say? Oh, that's fair to say. Yes, I was determined to make it happen. <laughs> determined. To, thank you. Thank you for getting, slipping that in there. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I was going to happen to my career. <laughs> okay, that's too much. Oh. <laughs> Cross the can, line. You can edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if we're not careful, we're going to have to edit the whole show out here. We'll we'll see what happens. Um so what, what happened from there? So you got into being a park ranger and I, we should probably, you know, eventually we'll get to the point you're not still a park ranger now. And we'll, we'll talk through that because I got all kinds of questions I want to ask you about that too. But you know, what was it, what was it like after you got in there and you've been working for this thing for a solid year, it's been at great cost to you and your family. And, and, you know, also you were getting to look forward to it too. So it wasn't entirely cost wise, but, um, but what, what was that like initially when you got in and started actually working as it? What uh, what surprised you? What what didn't surprise you? Help me understand that. Well, there are a few directions to take that question because there was a lot I probably didn't think through 
For example, when I applied to become a park ranger, I didn't even know they carried firearms. So that was an element of the career, the law enforcement side, I hadn't thought through a whole lot until you become a ranger. I didn't anticipate, uh, which would have been obvious to figure out the financial impact it would have because I took a significant pay cut to become a park ranger and then living apart from my wife. So all of that is going on. But the job of being a park ranger is as wonderful as you think it would be, unless you don't like trees or bugs or whatnot. But I came from a finance background, working as a financial analyst. And now I'm a park ranger, and there was a lot I didn't know about the culture, about the job, about how to relate to people, how to work with park visitors versus sitting at a desk wearing a tie all day as a financial analyst. Uh, heck, I didn't even know the proper way to hug a tree. <laughs> <laughs> so there was an ex- and on the very first day of my job, somebody drowned in the river, and I remember thinking, this is not the the first week. There were several traumatic events. Uh, uh, someone drowned in the river. There was uh, in the campground a an incident that was kind of gross. That I thought, well, last week I sat at a desk, and now I'm all of this is happening. So it was quite an adjustment. But it was like I say, though, it was as wonderful as you'd think it would be it being a park ranger was a a great job but it also is very like me to i'm going to work it in again scott to happen to my career so (laughs) i started already setting my sights on well first i want to learn the job after that then what's next and so i began rather than just say okay i'm i'm satisfied being a park ranger i started looking for the next opportunity which for me was getting promoted to the head ranger of the Centennial Trail, which was by far the best job I've ever had because during the summer I rode a bike eight hours a day. So that that was that was wonderful. And then awesome. then I ended up getting promoted to assistant manager of a park, which required us to move to the other side of the state. And the the thing about being a park ranger is the higher up you move in the chain of command, the less time you actually get to do what drew you to become a park ranger anyway. But that's probably true in a lot of jobs, I guess. So two questions. One is, do you think that that could be changed? And then the second question I want to ask, and I'm going to tell you before I forget, because I think it's an important one, is... Is that part of what caused you to leave eventually, too, that you got further away from the reason why you signed up for the gig in the first place? I will answer the second one first, and that is I'm sure it had a small part in it in that the job wasn't as fun as it used to be. Yeah. But there were a lot of other factors as well. But when you take in that... the these other things were happening and the job's not as fun, then it probably did help the decision. Now for that alone, I I likely never would have left being a park ranger, but it certainly did factor in. And then the first one, can it be changed is yeah, probably. I mean, anything you can determine how much time you get to spend out in the field, but you also move into dealing a lot. Once you supervise people, you all your years in HR, you know what a headache that can be. So that you end up dealing uh, with people instead of squirrels. And uh, it it does change the job a lot. Not that it was bad. It just was different. I would say that people can be more difficult to manage than squirrels. However... Uh, uh, you have had one or two or seven run-ins with a, with a squirrel, but one in, one in particular. No, I I don't think we should go there. I don't think we should go there either, but I'm curious if you want an insanely, uh, comical story, where, where could people find that? Do you have like a, what's the best place to find that? Because I've heard you tell that story Uh, and we don't have time for it because there's like a 40 minute rendition of it. (laughs) 
<laughs> you have had your run-ins with squirrels. Yes. there. So probably the easiest place to find it is episode seven, I believe, of the Park Leader Show. I start that episode with the story of the squirrel. So for, for frame of reference and background, um, Jody started a show called the Park Leaders Show, and it's... Uh, it's re- it's actually really really good. Um, I say actually like it wouldn't be or something along those lines, but uh, I have listened to it. I have listened to the squirrel episode. When you get an extra twenty to twenty five minutes, go there, check it out, and we'll even link up to it. So we'll, we'll yeah, do that there in the you show go. And the, the squirrel story itself is probably only about six minutes. Oh, it seemed like a good twenty five minutes in a good way, in the best possible way. <laughs> okay, so you. Uh, you ended up leaving and what did you ended up like you'd worked a year to make this happen. You absolutely loved it. You started moving up in the ranks. This other stuff is happening. You don't get to do exactly what you originally wanted to do. And you end up, um, deciding to leave. How did that happen in the first place? And what else prompted that? Well, now we're on the other side of the state. And when, when I I should clarify that it, it, was my choice to move up the ranks. That's what I wanted. I, I wanted to eventually end up a park manager, but still that means less of doing why you become a park ranger. But that's that's what I wanted. So we're on the other side of the state and the the job isn't quite as fun as it used to be. And I now had a family I had two young kids and my schedule just didn't allow me to see much of them I worked nights and I worked weekends and it just didn't line up with my family schedule so the the quality of my family life wasn't as good as it could have been the park that I worked at was um interesting (laughs) with some of the staff dynamics it was it was uh Maybe I'll just leave it there. It was the staff dynamics were interesting that made it not a desirable place to be. And with that, as in people didn't get along, or as in oh yeah, yeah, people didn't get along. That's right. It, it was it was a uh, it would have made a good daytime TV show probably. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so so that's happening, and the state was going through severe budget problems, and state parks was going to take a brunt of that and the park i worked at had already been put on the list for closure twice and each time my family's thinking oh my goodness where where are we going to end up we're not going to get a choice and that that impacted us and now it's heading into its third round of bad budget problems and they were going to deal with this one rather than close, uh, threatening to close parks. They were going to lay off park rangers, and I think over eighty some park rangers ended up getting laid off out of two hundred. Hmm. And I had high rank without a lot of seniority, and it looked likely that I would get bumped somewhere else. And at the exact same time, uh, someone I knew locally in the private sector offered me a job. And the timing lined up, and we loved the area, so we said, okay, it's it's time to move on. So it was not an easy decision, though, and it it, it took a, a couple of months probably to come to terms with that it was the right thing to do. What, what, uh, what ended up making the final decision? Like clearly I understand the circumstances and everything like that, but for you, I mean, this is, this is like an interesting sort of culmination to this whole journey as a park ranger, uh, because you got into it, it's like totally, uh, exciting and exactly what you want to do. And then, you know, as you've made these choices yourself to be able to move up the ranks, it based on environment and everything else, it's less and less and less desirable. And then all of a sudden you're, you're faced with, Hey, look, it's not a desirable environment and they're probably going to you know, move me or uh, lay me off or something else along those lines anyways. Um, so I, I get all that. Uh, but you know, it still took you months to be able to make that decision. What, what, what else hinged on that factor? Why did you, why did you finally say yes? Was there, was there a tipping point? 
I think it came with the offer of work outside without me seeking work. Uh, I had not gotten to the point where I was actively looking for work outside of parks. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it, it came with the, that job offer to say, Oh, look there, there are, there's an option that would allow us to stay local. So I think with everything else happening the way it was, it was that final piece that once that slid in, then it just seemed like a, a good time. So this is so interesting to me because like you, you took all this action and everything and <laughs> life happens and all kinds of things outside your control happen. And then it sort of slowly slips into this other, other section of your career and everything like that. So what, what happened from there? You end up taking this, taking this job, which allowed you to stay in the area. And what, what happened at that point? Oh, a few things did, Scott. Uh, I went back to school to get an MBA, which was a two-year process, uh, which wasn't, it, it, re- it really wasn't all that fun because I had made the decision I wasn't going to let my school impact my kids and my family life. Uh, so I would stay up till two or three doing homework because I wouldn't do homework until my kids went to bed. And then I'd get up at seven to go to work and I realize now you hear that and you think, well, how can that not impact your family when you walk around like a zombie for two years? But it made sense at the time. It was so minimal, maybe less impact. Yeah, maybe maybe that's it. So I went. I, w- I was going to school to get an MBA during this, but I worked for a company that it was a wonderful small family owned company that built luxury homes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I learned a tremendous amount from the owner and the family. Uh, it was a, it was a real neat opportunity, but a, a couple of things happened is with it being a small company, my, uh, it, it's not like you just had one job assignment there. I, I was a project manager, but I also did all of the marketing. So I was like marketing director and project manager and then eventually moved to when the the controller of the company left. And it's I don't mean controlling personality. It was that was the job title. <laughs> I, I I moved into that role. So then I started doing payroll and all the accounting and the financial reporting. And I, so I took care of all that. So I had a lot of roles in the company. Uh, but two things happened is one about midway through my time there, I unexpectedly got laid off. Times were were tough for, for the company. They just went through this dip. And I, I think it was a Friday, like mid-afternoon on Friday, I was told not to come in on Monday. And that it would only be a couple of weeks, and it turned into three months. And that was really an eye-opener that a job working for one person is not, or one company is not very secure. Even though it feels like it, you're putting everything into their hands. And I had felt that with state parks, my park getting on the closure list a couple of times, the potential of getting bumped. It it always was in someone else's hands, but I didn't do anything about it. I just, uh, I would never do this now, Scott. And it it pains me a little to say it, but I sat on the couch and moped for three months until I got called back to work. And now, boy, if that happened to me now, I'm, I'm a different person now. I would have made a lot of things happen during those three months. But back then, I, I didn't. So I ended up back to work for them. And later in this story, a wonderful opportunity came up where the owner of the company realized he benefited a lot when I'm focusing on marketing and not finance. And he wanted me back into that role, but knew there was, I couldn't do both, but there also wasn't enough to justify having a full-time marketing person. And we discovered together that that was a great opportunity for me to leave the company and work as 
ind- independent contractor, however you want to look at it. So essentially do the same role I had been doing in marketing, only I wasn't their employee. And then I was free to do it for other people. And that's, uh, and many people that start their own, own uh, career out or entrepreneur career, they don't get that opportunity to start. And I was fortunate enough to have somebody basically uh, prop me up a little bit and hold my hand as I did it. So what, what happened then after that point? Because that's, um, you and I met uh, a little while after that. And when you and I met, um, well, two different things. One, you're in an almost entirely different business really with what you do. I mean, it's all different types of marketing and stuff, but really it's a totally changed over business, you know, outside looking in at least maybe it doesn't feel like that, but, um, then you were when you and I met a couple of years ago and at the time, like when you and I met, like things were, things were not as good as they are now for you. <laughs> so there's been, there's been a lot happened in, in between that. So I, I think that that is one side really, really great that, uh, that you had, you know, built in client, uh, on the other side, like, uh, I, I think there was a point in time there where you were kind of like scrambling for work or trying to decide what this business was going to look like too. Yeah, that did happen there because I, I, unlike you, Scott, who was deliberate your journey to being self-employed was a lot like my journey to become a park ranger but my journey to being self-employed happened quickly yeah and without a plan yeah and it was great that i had a built-in client from the beginning who is still i do a lot of work we have a great relationship but i didn't have a plan beyond that and I struggled to find work for a while. And I struggled to find the identity of my business. So there did come a point where I had called you and said, Scott, I'm, I'm going back into the workforce and I need to hire you to help me get a job. I'm, I'm sure you remember all this well. And I went through your coaching and by the end of the month, now I'm I'm boiling this down, of course, but you said you you really should focus on your business and not go out chasing a job. And that was a tremendous help because once I had stopped looking for jobs and thinking, gosh, what's next? Where am I going to end up? How do I find a job? Oh, my goodness. It relieved so much pressure and allowed me to really focus on what I was doing. That's interesting. And that's, uh, kind of you to say in the first place, but, um, that's interesting that it's almost like when you're talking about becoming a park ranger, all of a sudden you have a, have a plan again, and now you've got something that you're working towards and now you're kind of more single focusing. Uh, it was just kind of what I heard you say there too. So, but what I hadn't heard you say before is the relieving part. So that's what was really interesting to me. Um, I also remember like when you and I were working together a little bit for, for that period, there was this really, um, strong pull to going back and finding, finding a job. What well, what was that for you? Cause I don't know that I ever asked you that at the time, but, um, we talked through all the things that you were really wanting in your life at the, at the time. And on 100% of them, uh, or on nearly 100% of them pointed you in the direction of, look, really, you should be doing your own thing, your own boss, your own business. But you also had this really strong pull that was coming from someplace saying, no, I think the answer is going back to the workforce. What was well, that? Well, the, the really strong pull was the pretty blonde lady I live with. <laughs> no, and, and not in the sense that she was telling me, hey, go get a job. Yeah. It was in the sense that I have a wife and two children that I need to provide for. Yeah. And the, my business was not doing it. And it, it's hard to break the traditional mindset. So to me, it meant, okay, I, I have to go get a job. Not that I have to focus on my business and make this work. My mind had changed to I need to go find a job. And the impact that had is... I kept one foot on each side of the fence and wasn't 
doing well with either one? Ah, uh, like, have you ever thought about this in this way? Like where this is like a theme for your <laughs> entire life almost where when you, Jody Mayberry, start single focusing, like you just bust through walls like crazy uh, that other, it seems like other people wouldn't be able to, or wouldn't do. But as soon as you're not single focusing, then it is, I don't know, not going as well for you. I've, I've honestly never thought of that, Scott. I kind of feel like I should lay down on a couch (laughs) telling me this. Well, it's just, I mean, you and I have the advantage of, uh, we've known each other for a couple of years now and everything like that, but I don't know. That's, that's kind of what I'm seeing for, for uh, you, but you can get up off the couch. It's cool. <laughs> well, you do have a point because once I focused on my business and was determined this was going to work, I mean, it's it's been uh, it, now that didn't happen right away after I made the decision, but neither did becoming a park ranger. But after I made the decision and focused on this, we advanced to now and things are tremendous. Yeah. So what what happened? Like. Take me, take me through that. First of all, help people understand what it is that you do. Cause I think it's really, really interesting what you do in the first place. And you make a living at this. I believe that what you said at the very beginning about choosing the route that tells the better story. I think that this certainly tells a better story, but what is it that you do? How do you describe that? Well, I, I have been using the line lately that I help people market, mobilize and master their message. And that has come in different forms through copywriting. I, I do that way to help people get their message out on through their websites or sales letters, or uh, I, I've helped people write eBooks that they put out. So that's one way. But, but I think the, the way that you're bumping me towards, because it's people find this story fascinating is I also help people with their podcast. So people bring me in, they, they have a message. They realize podcasting would be a powerful way to get that message out. And I help them with that, with show production. I do a lot of podcast hosting. I coach them to create good content. What might make good content, how, how to talk while they're doing a a show. So they connect with their audience. And so it's, it's, that sort of thing, helping people um, get their message out into the world. And sometimes it's through product launches. Sometimes it's through blog posts or websites. I've got a team that I I work with that when somebody is new to this and they need a, a website or they need their website redone, then I have, I don't do that work myself. I, I bring someone in to help with that. But yeah, that's that's the big package of it what really got you moving down that road in the first place? Cause that, that didn't just happen. Cause two years ago at this time you were doing like Facebook and stuff for local construction companies and other local companies and all kinds of stuff. So you, you're, you're doing a tiny bit of that now, but it's, it's not the bulk of your business by a long shot. So what transpired to move you that move you that direction? Cause you went like, telling the beginning of the story, like you're, uh, you've moved into your own business and you had one client and you maybe had a couple other clients and everything like that, but things as a whole aren't going that well. You started single focusing, things are going, uh, in a better direction with you single focusing, but what really propelled you down that path? Well, I'm going to give a, a two part answer. And first is when my business was struggling, I was trying to stay local in my area. And as at some point I realized I could be bigger than that and I could be a, uh, rather than a local business, I could be uh, a personality. I'm trying to think of how to describe it, but I could just be a personality that is, doesn't have to stay local. Yeah. And I, I, so that was, that was one way that my business was impacted and then the other is I had the park leader show going. Now, I have to give credit to Jared Easley. I never would have started podcasting without Jared Easley. He's the host of the Starve the Doubts podcast. Yeah. And I recommended a guest to him. And he said, I will have this person on as a guest. It was James Woosley. I will have James Woosley as a guest if you'll be my co-host. 
And I'm all, like I said, two options, choose the one with the better story. And I thought, oh, that'll be a good story. I can tell people I co-hosted one episode of a podcast. So I did it and I did a lousy job, but Jared was gracious enough to keep inviting me back as a co-host. And that showed me that I could do this. I could start my own podcast. That led to the Park Leaders Show, which was my way of giving back to the park community that I love. I, I love parks as much today as I did when I became a park ranger. And now you have park leaders or park, yeah, park leaders and uh, people that work in parks and people who work around parks all over the world that listen to this thing too. Oh it's yeah, cool. it, it, it has. It's been tremendous. I mean, I get... Uh, speaking engagements. I get invited to come to a lot of conferences. I've had dinner with the director of the National Park Service. All of it has come from a little show for park rangers. It's been tremendous. That's cool. Another thing that came from that, though, is I wanted to talk to somebody from Disney to find out how they operated parks. I did not have a Disney connection, but Amazon told me that Lee Cockrell had written two books and Lee ran Disney world for a decade. And he, he's a big deal at Disney still. He's got a, a window on main street. He's very great career at Disney. So I thought, well, I wonder he's got a book out. I wonder if he'd want to talk about how, what parks can learn from Disney. And he jokes with me today and says that, that before you called me, I didn't, or before you reached out to me, I didn't even know what a podcast was. So I invited him on the show, didn't know at the time that his sister-in-law had been a ranger with the National Park Service for 30 years. So he had an interest in coming on the show, and it went really well. You've had him on your show, and yeah. I got tremendous feedback from the park community about Lee being on the show because, for one, he's a great guest, and then he's really fascinating. So I, I had tremendous feedback and i just wanted to be nice and let lee know that i've heard great feedback so i reached out and let him know hey i've, I've had great feedback about your show and he appreciated that and i thought well i'll just it, wonder because i love listening to podcasts lee have you ever had thought about having your own podcast and he said well yeah it'd be an interesting idea but i'm 71 i'm retired i want to feel like it so i this was not my intent when I called him, but I saw there was an opportunity right there. So I said, well, what if you just show up and I do everything else? I already showed Lee I was good at, at that because he was a guest on the show. And a couple weeks later, he called me and he said, let's do it. So th there we go. And then there's a there's a lesson hidden in there, Scott, that you you can connect with with people like people want to connect with the influencers just in the hope that I, I don't know that it rubs off or something. But the approach I took there is I, I had something specific to offer. So it wasn't just a, Hey, uh, if you ever need any help, let me know. It was, Hey Lee, this is what I can do for you. So we did the park leader show. I'm, Yes, he was a guest on the Park Leader Show. That led to creating Disney Magic. He had a big following, so it's a popular show. A lot of people hear it. And I was just able to leverage that into other opportunities. So, hold on. There's, there's a, And I know we're starting to get short on time here and everything like that, but I think there's a couple other interesting lessons in there too because if I remember correctly, you had some people tell you, yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do this. Like, it's going to take up a bunch of your time and... Like you're not, you know, you started out not charging any money for this stuff, right? Like when you initially reached out to Lee, like yeah, it, yeah, your intent wasn't, hey, Lee, I'm going to charge you, you know, fifteen hundred bucks per episode or two thousand bucks per episode or anything like that. So at this point in time, you weren't making any money off this. Um, yeah, that's right. When we started, that's how it was. And and again, though, if you look at the two options wouldn't it make a great story to have done a podcast with lee cockerel yeah and it it did and it does and so that that's why i did it i i i do try to keep that in mind get, given two options what's going to make the better story so uh, i was willing to do the do the work for free when we started and it's my goodness it has paid off because <laughs> 
in, in a lot of ways. And, and I, it can't be taken lightly that now I have Lee Cockrell as a, as a client, a business partner, a mentor, uh, man, that has been tremendous. I will tell you, I have learned more working with Lee Cockrell than I did in business school, getting an MBA. It's been that impactful. So that's that's super interesting because I think most people, again, just like your park ranger uh, progression story, most people are not going to be willing to put in all that work for free and not understand the benefit of doing that. I, I would just like to go on the record saying that I said it would be a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're officially on the record. I know we are on the record, so that works out. <laughs> I'm so glad it actually turned out to be a great idea. <laughs> Yeah, because we could have been having. Yeah, we could have been like, Jody, why did why did you do that? Well, you you told me it'd be a good idea. Well, why did you listen to me? <laughs> uh, no, but it, but I think that it really does go to show though that when you're adding value to to somebody in a way that's beneficial to them, and I, I think that's probably the word you know definition of the word value, but. Um, and doing something that's really useful to them that you can also do for other people, like starting out for free is a, is a really okay way to do that and build a ton of credibility. And, and I mean, how much did you pay for a business school? Like roughly? Oh my goodness. Tens of I, thousands of dollars probably, right? Yes. Okay. So you just told me that that was more valuable than that. The short time that you spent in the last couple of years with, uh, with Lee, uh, has been way more valuable than, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. So, but I think most people aren't looking at it that way. Most people are looking at like, well, that's going to take up my time and I'm not getting paid for that. Yeah. And don't tell my wife that, that I'm telling you this, but that has actually changed my view uh, that when my kids get older, if they wanted to not go to college, now I will encourage them to do so and we'll, enjoy it if they do. But if they decide not to go to college, I would be fine with that so long as they had a deliberate plan of making something happen. Because I see that the benefit of it that um, college doesn't quite give. If you're deliberate and make something happen and find non-traditional ways to learn, it can have a bigger impact. Yeah, this is something Melissa and I have been talking a lot about lately because, I mean, we have college funds for the kids and, uh, you know, we've been saving for a while for them to go to college. At this point, you know, our kids are uh, eight, seven, and and five, but, but we've been talking a lot about that too. And, you know, is, is college a necessity for one thing? Because I think we've considered it a necessity for a long time. And two, does it does it even make sense when you're looking at it from a return on investment standpoint? And I don't know the answer to that question, but I think, uh, that's something we should, uh, maybe that's another episode or something down the line, but that would be really interesting to chat about at a different date. Um, Jody, here's what I'm curious about, you know, as we wrap things up, because you've, you've, You've done all of these pretty amazing things. I don't know if it feels amazing to you, but outside looking in, I think it really truly is amazing. And I think that you should give yourself credit for that. And uh, I also think that it's really valuable for other people to be able to hear how uh, how this stuff can happen, not just that it can. So I appreciate you taking the time to do that. But what I'm curious about is any advice that you'd have to other people that want to make a career transition since you've made so many, and even though none of them were easy, uh, you've made a lot. So what advice would you give to somebody who's in that place? Well, I would say, I would say persistence. You become an overnight success after years of hard work usually. So persistence is definitely a key. Don't, um, what, what's a good way to say that? D don't, um, don't think poorly of small beginnings. A foot in the door is incredibly valuable. What one part of my story I didn't tell is when I became a financial analyst, I started with a foot in the door. I wanted to work for this particular company they didn't have a job open that I wanted or felt I should have. 
So I took an entry-level job as a loan servicing specialist, and I thought once they see me and see what I can do, I'm going to get promoted. And six months later, I got promoted. And that's a pattern that I believe you'll see throughout my life and my career, that I, I'm willing to persist and I'm willing to to take that risk of maybe going for less than desirable just to be able to prove what I can do. And when I do it, it's it's paid off. That's amazing. Very, very cool. Hey, thank you so very much for making the time. Um, we, a uh, little bit more background behind the scenes. We get to chat on a weekly basis because, um, because we've got a standing, well, started out as an accountability call. It's kind of moved and evolved into a little mini mastermind type call. But either way, I appreciate you, sir. I appreciate you making some extra time for me this week to, to chat about you and your story. Where, If, if people want to hear a Park Leaders show, if they want to catch the Squirrel episode, uh, we'll, we'll certainly put all these links on the on the show notes, and you can go to Happen Your Career um, and click on the podcast and be able to see that. But where else can people get in touch with you if they're interested in more Jody Mayberry or they need some copywriting or they need a need a podcast host or anything else? Well, first, let me say that if you listen to an episode of the Park Leader Show, you will recognize the opening voice because Scott <laughs> Barlow is the announcer, the, the opening voice of the Park Leader Show. So you might find that a treat because every week he says something just a little different and quirky. So beyond that, you can find me at jodymayberry.com. I would love it if you connect with me on the Twitter or find me on Facebook. And not too long ago, I started my own show, The Jody Mayberry Show. So this is the show that after helping lots of other people with their shows and doing park leaders for a couple of years, I said, okay, this is it. I'm starting my own and this one I'm putting my name on. So for me, this is the show, the show I wanted my own name on to help people market, mobilize, and master their message. So you can check that out as well, the Jody Mayberry Show. Very cool. Hey, thanks again. Thanks, Scott. It's been tremendous. You're one of my favorite people. <laughs> right back at you, sir. appreciate it. So I'm super curious, what options are you considering in your life right now? And which one of those actually makes for the better story, just like Jody was saying? Now, if you need a little help figuring out what your storyline should be, then our Figure It Out mini course can help give you, give you that overview and give you the tools and resources to begin finding the work that suits your unique strengths and skills and help you move towards it. And here's how you can, here's how you can sign up for that. Very, very, very easy. Um, not easy work though, but we can help you understand at least what that pathway looks like and begin getting you down the path. So I want you to text HTYC to 38470 or simply visit figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. Uh, or like I said, stop it right here, pause and text HTYC to 38470. All right. Next week on the Happen to Your Career podcast, we've got another great episode for you and even more that's going to help you move down the path for figuring out what you want and how some other people have done exactly that. So I want you to take a listen right now for what's coming up. It's very much, I think, a struggle for many of us, especially in North American business culture. To, and society even here to identify who we are with what we do professionally in the world. And I really used to struggle with that over the years of like, okay, how do I, what, what do I put on this form? <laughs> how do I describe what I do? Because it would often change. Um, I guess at some point I'm just like, you know what? It really doesn't matter that much of what I call myself. What matters is the value that I provide to people in the world. All right, that and a whole bunch more next week on Happen to Your Career. Thank you so much for spending your time, taking the time, making the time to come and be here with us on the show. It means a lot to me. Plus, 
the more that you listen, the more other people actually get uh, get to listen to. And if you want to do even one better, because uh, we, we only have smart people listening to this show that, uh, that want to be able to contribute back to the world, well, here's what you can do. You can go over to iTunes, go over to Stitcher, and we would absolutely appreciate if you took the time, 60 seconds or less, to leave us an honest review. Uh, you know, that would, that would helps other people find the show and then we can get even more people into work that they were meant to be doing. All right. We'll see you next time on the Happy to Your Career podcast. Adios. I'm out. Well, that's kind of like getting your testimonial testimized. Nobody wants to hear about Spokanistan. Yeah, they saw Scott Barlow on the screen and said, whoa, he must be up to something. That's Scott Barlow. You can edit that out. Uh, if we're not careful, we're going to have to edit the whole show out here. And my schedule just didn't allow me to see much of them. I worked nights and I worked weekends and it just didn't line up with my family's schedule. So the, the quality of my family life wasn't as good as it could have been. I wonder if you would be as tenacious or determined if you thought there were other options, though. But I drove, what, six and a half hours one way every time, every weekend. So, you know, back and forth. It, I did. I was going to happen to my career. And the timing lined up, and we loved the area. So we said, okay, it's, it's time to move on work as ind independent contractor, however you want to look at it. So essentially do the same role I had been doing in marketing, only I wasn't their employee. And then I was free to do it for other people. Yeah. Although I know to be careful what I talk about right now, because last time I told you a funny story when we were done recording and it ended up in the episode. <laughs> that is also something that we do, although I am not the only one that does that. Josh Rivers also <laughs> finds that just as amusing as I do. Yeah. So last time I told you, uh, I remember an the outhouse story. sandwich story, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. right. Yeah. But this time, I don't know if my flagship joke has ever made it on your show. Mm. What is your flagship joke? What do you give a cannibal that's late for dinner? What do you give a cannibal that is late for dinner? The cold shoulder. That's something. <laughs>